I want to look at the scripture real quick regarding what happened in Florida because wouldn't you know it, right after it happened, every, there are those who come out with their solution. Their solution is always government control of your lives. Did you know in, the U- in Ukraine, it's not the Ukraine, Pat, it's, I'm trying to get right, it's Ukraine. You know when they took their guns, you know what they told them? They said, we must save you from yourselves. That's what they told them. If we don't take your guns, you're going to kill yourselves. So they saved them from themselves, and one million plus people died at the hands of tyranny. And so anyway, I'm not going in that direction this morning. I just think it's always interesting, the solution. Man has his solutions. God has his. We're not going to be saved by our own ideas and opinions, regardless of what they are. Whether they're on the left or right, it doesn't matter. But listen, Isaiah 64. Here's the answer. Can I share with you the answer? Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nation may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down and the mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness. Then in verse 5, it's an amazing. Because of the sin of the people, it says that you were angry for we have sinned. And then it says, in these ways we continue and we need to be saved. And that, those two lines caught my attention. This week, in these ways we continue. You know, we, they were quick to let us know that this has happened so many times over the last 10 years. And it has, not as many times as they told us. You know, the media is always trying to get an advantage by stretching the truth. They don't stretch the truth, they lie. It's, it's absolute lie. But anyway, it's happened enough. If it had happened one time, it would have been too much. But it's happened many times. And I was thinking about this. In these ways we continue. And we need to be saved. And I thought, God, we're continuing down this track. Down this course. Every man has his opinion. We have our own ideas. I'm telling you, it's not going to be... We're not going to save ourselves. No legislation is going to save us. So what's going to save us? Well, this is what I saw. Look in verse 6. Right after he says, In these ways we continue and we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. So the first way to get out of the mess that we're in as a nation is to confess the mess that we're in because of sin. It's because of sin. That's the reason for the nation going down the tubes, as many would say. But it's not. I believe God has an answer. But we've all sinned. It's not man's ideas. All these senators, I'd like to tell you, your legislation is not going to fix the problem. It's going to make it worse. Man cannot save himself. Secondly, the next thing in that is that we're all like an unclean thing. All of our righteousness is a filthy wax. Rags, it says, for we all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind. So not only have we sinned, but we're fading like a leaf. The wages of sin is death. There's a wind blowing over America. It's a win because of our own doings. We've rejected God. 
We threw God out of our schools. And the answer is for the wind of the Holy Spirit. We need to turn to him. The wages of sin is death, just like the scripture said. Then in verse 7, and there's no one who calls on your name who, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. In other words, there's no one who is really proclaiming the answer. The answer is to acknowledge our mess, our sin, and repent of our sin. And turn to the only one that is the, the answer and, has, and is the hope. And his name is Jesus Christ. Yes, we've all sinned. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And we need to call up. We need to stir ourselves up. We, if nobody else is going to do it, the baby boomers are going to do it. We're going to stir ourselves up, grab hold of God in this hour. He's the answer. But anyway, this just fit to me. And after he says, there's no one who stirs himself up to call. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. In other words, we've lost his manifest presence. We told him to leave and he left our schools. All it will take is to open the door and let him back in and invite him and repent. We have to repent. And then the last thing is, oh, God, we're in the heavens. Eyes not seen, ears not heard. Any God, come and make yourself known to our adversaries, and God would do it. So anyway, I just wanted to say that because I saw it in the Scripture. And I'm going to talk more about it, but there's another man. <laughs> that was pretty incredible. Randy, you know, when it touches home, it means more. You know what I'm talking about. Most of these things happen somewhere else with somebody else. This was right here, one of my good friends, Fellowship of Churches, and there his own people, many teachers go that are in that school go to his church. But there's another man I met that has the most incredible, I have never, I haven't read a story like he told us. At the, I've not read, the, I've read a little bit of this. But it was an amazing testimony. I'm going to share that in a moment. And then he came. I invited him to come, and he came here on Thursday. I said, look, what you just had, you need to release here. And so I'll tell you about it. But I want to stick to the course because it was Valentine's Day this, this year. Or when was it? The 14th? Valent yes. And this is also, Shirley and I, it's our 30th anniversary. Now, I know what you're saying. You don't look like that. I was 14. She was 10. You know, no, that's, that's not what happened. But we need to. We need to do the discipleship part. There's the inspirational things. You also need to just keep line upon line, precept upon precept. It's only going to change when you start preaching the word. You know, you don't just tell about these great experiences, and I'm going to do that. But of all the institutions under assault today, it's marriage, the family. You know, it's almost as if there was some divine, no, not divine, some demonic plot to undermine America. And so the way to do that was through the home. So they went after marriages. They went after the family. But also, I want to talk about this this morning because the last part will only take a little bit of time. But I want to talk about this because... Everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken, even marriages. And so we need to make sure we know what God's Word says. You guys listen up, okay? This is for you guys, all right? It's all for all of us, but it's, we need to know what God's Word, what God's standard is. We're not going to bow. We're not going to lower 
the standard, and too much of the church has done that. So we're going to raise a standard. But first, I want Shirley to go first. I wanted to talk a little bit about how we met, and then I'll come and pick up the pieces. So don't, yeah. Pick up the pieces, all right. I hear you. Um, I think you've heard his perspective of our love story. I have been the brunt of many a story, <laughs> but it's been a wonderful story. I can't thank the Lord enough for what he did bringing my husband to me and me and to my husband. So this is from my perspective. You're going to get to know me a little bit better. Um, and uh, I hope it encourages you that you can glean something from what I'm about to share with you. So when I was 15 years old, I fell in love with Jesus. I got saved. And um, with that, I, I had to totally surrender my life to him, everything, all my decisions, um, where I was going to go to college, what I was going to study, who I would marry, you know, all that stuff. And, and, and it's a process, isn't it? You decide, okay, I'm going to surrender, Lord, and then all of a sudden you're taking control back, right? Yeah, I did that a lot too. Uh, but one of my favorite life verses that the Lord brought to me was Psalm 32, 8, and it goes like this. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go and counsel you with my eye upon you. And so that just gave me so much comfort because, for one, the Lord's eye is always on us. And two... He will lead us and tell us what to do. All we have to do is ask. So that was my life first. And, and he led me through a lot of things, through college, um, led me into my career as a teacher of disabled children. That was my first calling, being a pastor, pastor's wife. That's my second calling. So, <laughs> But anyway, that was totally wonderful. And in that process, the Lord led me to a place in West Virginia. But what I want you to realize is this whole surrender was a process, and it still is a process. And for the whole being single, wanting to be married, I was there. I mean, I understand what y'all have went through, especially you guys. I, I get that, and I was there. But I had to, the Lord had to get me to a point of realization that it was better for me to remain single all my life than to marry someone who was not God's choice for me or me as being God's choice for them. And so I think it, it took a long time for me to finally surrender. It was like surrender and surrender and surrender, you know, on and on and on. So anyway, God brought David and I together in the most unlikely of places. Believe me, you do not want to go to a little place in the middle of nowhere in West Virginia and think you're going to find a husband, okay? It, I mean, the county seat had one stoplight in it. That is how tiny. I mean, the whole county had like 5,000 people. So when the Lord called me there, you know, as a 20-something, you know, I mean, I had hopes I would find my husband there, but you know, it was just one of those things. I mean, it's, if you want to go and, and find a, a wife or a husband or something like that, you're going to go to a nice, one of those big mega churches <laughs> where there's lots to pick from, right? Right. Okay. That's not what God had for me to do. So uh, anyway, oh, and the other thing, it's also quite miraculous. As a teacher, um, 
of disabled children, I would have teacher assistants. And periodically, they would transfer one, or one would retire, or whatever, and I would get a new one. So, because I got a new teacher assistant this particular year is the reason why I'm standing here before you. Isn't God good? She invited me to her church, which was the little bitty Baptist church that he was pastoring as an interim pastor. <laughs> Otherwise, we would never have met and I wouldn't stand, be standing here in front of you. So, and her name's Lillian. Thank you, Lillian. <laughs> so I want you to know, see, he guided my steps every step of the way in this whole process of bringing us together. So anyway, so we met one Sunday morning in September. Actually, we met three times. He made sure I met him three times that Sunday morning. Yes, before church and twice after church. Isn't that something? So anyway, all that to say, you know, looking back, I could say, yes, I knew that was the one. But when you're walking through it, you're too afraid to think, wow, this could be it, you know. Um, and so anyway, I just want you to know that I could, I could tell you without a shadow of a doubt now, yes, this is the one that God had for me. However, even that whole process of coming together and dating and talking and contemplating marriage, I knew that God's will was much higher than mine. God's plan was much better than mine. And so it, it was, wasn't the fact that I was madly in love with him that we got married, because that's not enough. It really isn't enough. I want you young people to understand being madly in love with somebody is not enough to know that that's God. You see, I didn't want to marry just because I loved him, but because I was part of God's will for him, you see. So I recognized the call of God on David's life, and I knew if he married the wrong person, which I could very well have been the wrong person, I could totally mess up God's plan. So it wasn't enough for me just to love him. That was, oh yeah, that was important. But it wasn't all about me. I, can't, I want you to understand that. It's not all about you and what you want. It's all about this person that God's joining you with and what God's plan is for their life. And are you the one that fits in with that plan? Okay, so he asked me to marry him, and I said, well, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> and we decided to fast for seven days. We did a water fast. And we truly, both of us, went before the Lord with the question are we to get married? And you have to be absolutely real and honest with God when you do that. You have to lay down everything that you want on the altar. So anyway, we did that for seven days. And then I, I think at that point we decided, yeah, this is an open door for us. And then I continued fasting for two more weeks. Now, it wasn't a complete water fast. I would eat about every other day. But I just, I had to know in my heart that this was what God's plan was for us. And, uh, and so anyway, the result was a confidence that this truly was God's desire and we were to marry. And every day in that process, I became more and more confident. I will tell you this much. I've had an amazing life with Jesus. 
He has given me like every desire I've ever had in my life. <laughs> you know how you have your little list of things you want to do in your life? I can't think of any that's not been fulfilled. Isn't that wonderful? But the day we married was the most amazing one of my life, one of my, the most truly precious memories I have. The Lord knit us together. I heard someone tell me, and I can't remember who it was, but you know, when you get married and you're getting ready as a, as a bride to walk down the aisle, you don't want to leave Jesus at the back door because you're doing your thing. You want Jesus to be right there, right there tying you together, being that third cord in your marriage. So, and I could say he did that, absolutely. And one other thing is like after you get married, you know, time is like so precious. You don't want to let little things, the little foxes come in and cause division and strife and steal time from you. Because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Um, I remember Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was martyred, she said when they got married, the day they got married, she just assumed she would live the rest of her life with this man. But they only had five years together. And so when I got married, I purposed in my heart never to let anything, anything fester and make a wound. I think that's so important. And one night in this whole process it was a wednesday night church meeting and david was preaching and he was preaching out of uh, revelation chapter three and the lord just spoke to me through uh, a particular scripture it was revelation three chapter um, chapter three verse seven it says he who has the key of david he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens and that gave me a lot of peace because i believed the door to marriage was open and as long as I was brave enough to keep walking, I trusted God that if I was mistaken, I wouldn't be able to open that door. You see? So when we tr truly trust everything to the Lord, he is so faithful to give us more than we could ever think, ask, or dream. Now, that's my side of the story. <laughs> Yes. And that scripture, Psalm 32, 8, was also my favorite scripture. I mean, I had many favorite, but I wrote that down. And so that was a pretty good thing. I can tell you that over all these years, we never had an argument. I know that she would wonder about that. Every time I say, surely we've never had an argument. Except the one time I had her on her hands and knees. She was on her hands and knees looking at me under the bed saying, get out from under that bed and own up to it right now. You, But anyway... You don't, you don't do that. You didn't get it. You got it. Yes. No, we just, uh, I want to share some things about that you may have heard, but it all is going to fit together. I'm going to bring some things together and then lift up the scripture, the standard. But you know, I, I've learned that, you know, you have a desire God will give you the desires of your heart, right? That's a scripture. That's a promise. But you know what else God does? He gives you the heart, your heart's desires. He'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll put desires in your heart, things that he wants to fulfill so that you just know how good he is and how great and how faithful he is. And, uh, but over the process, as she said, it's a process. I've learned some things, and I want to 
just share because it's, there's some need for this. So we're going to lift up the standard. If you, your marriage is all fine and everything's good and you don't want to hear about it, it's okay. There's some people that do. But, you know, I had to go through a period of waiting for God. Why do you have to wait on God? Well, you, you wait on God because His ways are a lot higher than yours. And what you would do on your own, if you wait, God will do much better. And I had to learn to wait. Remember that scripture that we read, Isaiah 64, those who wait. He will act for those who wait for Him. And I needed to see. Now, why should we wait? Well, number one, you got to make sure, and I don't know if you ever are, but you got to be made ready. You got to be made ready. I had to be made ready. Second, the person that you're going to marry has to be ready. You should be praying right now for your future wife, husband. No, husband, <laughs> wife. Let me make sure I get it correct. Husband, wife. Yes, wife. You should be praying, spouse. You should be praying, God, get them ready. Make sure they're ready. Let them know you more, Lord. Begin to pray. I prayed for my son long before I had a son. I prayed for Joshua. And also had an Emily, but I'll have to tell you about that later on. Also, the, the time has to be right. For every season, there's a time. A time and a season. And then you have to be in the right place at the right time. For, the, you know, example, the day of Pentecost, they were all in one place, one accord. And, you know, I, I've shared with you this story, but some of you are new, so you need to hear it again. But after my experience with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being brought up as a Baptist, I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, you know. And, I mean, I knew He lived within me, but there was more that He wanted to teach me. But Shirley told you, you know, going to a little bitty church, the challenges of finding a wife... In Philippi, West Virginia? Are you kidding me? But anyway, before I went there, God led me. I, there was a day when I heard in my spirit, I'm going west. I heard God say that. I'm going west. And I said, well, God, if you're going west, go west, young man. Go west. I'm going with you. And the only place I knew west, because I was in Louisiana, was Waco, Texas, because... I had met someone that was a part of a spirit-filled Baptist church. I thought, well, if I'm filled with the spirit, I need to go somewhere where folks act like it so I can find out what's happening. What happened to me? So I went there to this church. Now, the good thing about Waco, Baylor University, I've shared this, but there are a lot of pretty girls in Baylor University. And I thought, this is going to be great because I wanted a wife. I thought, how am I going to be in ministry without a wife? What is this? I'm not going as a lone ranger. I've got to have somebody with me. You know, that was my desire. So anyway, I thought, I'm going to meet my wife at Baylor. One night I get out of church. No, I'm not even going. I'm going into church. I get out of my car. And the Lord speaks to me. Do not date the girls at Baylor. I immediately rebuked that. I thought that was the devil. I said, I rebuked that thought in the name of Jesus. Get thee behind me, Satan. Are you, you know, how are you going to do that? So anyway, it was God. Because everything I tried messed up. I even asked this girl out. Her name was Emily. Emily. And, and she was really pretty. She went to Baylor. She went, and I thought this was good. Now, this is a Baptist church. This is not supposed to happen. She calls me up and she says, David, God spoke to me and told me not to go out with you. I said, this, first of all, this is a Baptist church. That's not supposed to happen. What do you mean God spoke to you? 
I know you read the book, but he doesn't speak like that. And anyway, I was mad at God. You ever been there? I said, God, this is, this is not fair. What are you against me? And I was really mad. And I thought he had forsaken me. He had not forsaken me. I was angry. And then he reminded me the next day, Jeremiah 29, 11, No, I'm for you. The plans I have for you are good and not for evil. They give you a future and a hope. So she had to learn to wait. And then I had to learn that although God is good, He is God before He is good. If you hear anything I'm saying this morning, that you need to grab hold of. He's good, but He's God first. And the three verses that I used to gain leverage with God was, first of all, he that finds a wife has found a good thing. And so I quoted that to him often. He that finds a wife has found a good thing and has obtained favor from the Lord. Then I found another verse. The other verse said, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So I'd put both of those in order, you know what I mean? He that finds a wife, no good thing. And then it's not good. The scripture says, I read it, it's not good. You're a good God. And I memorized those verses. And I remember the morning, it just wasn't making sense. I said, this is, this is pitiful. Here I am, quoting scripture, standing on the word. You wrote it. It's your word. And I got mad at God. I got so mad, I literally, and this happened. I picked up my Bible and threw it at him. Now, he ducked. He, I missed him. But I, I remember I threw it across the room. God, you're, this is your... Anyway, he wasn't that offended. But I, I ducked. I thought, well, you know, you, try, you take a swing at God. He like, might take a swing back, but I repented. I said, God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to throw my Bible at you. But I did, to be honest with you. And then I had to learn. But wait, let me back up. Make sure you got that. Yes, he's good. But he's God. He's God. I think the charismatic church in America kind of messed up there. Yes, he's good. The promises, the blessing. No, he's God first. He's holy. He's God. So anyway, then I had to learn that it's in dying that you live. There was, you know, you know let me just show you something. Look over in Mark 14. I'm going to refer back to Isaiah, but look in Mark chapter 14. Look at this verse in verse 32. Mark 14, verse 32. Jesus is praying. How many of you have ever prayed for something so bad? You know, you believe, you stood on the word, you had faith. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John and um, he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. That's pretty sorrowful. Stay here and watch. And so he went a little further, and then he found a place. He fell on the ground, and he prayed that the hour might pass from him. And he says, and he said, Abba, Father. The first thing, he had a relationship with God. That was number one in his prayer life. It's about a relationship with him before anything else. Then he said, all things are possible for you. Now, is that true? All things are possible. And we know the scripture says, to those that believe. And then he had a request. So he, he acknowledged his relationship. He had faith in God, his father. And then he says, take this cup from me. 
That was his request. Now that's good. That's not bad to make a request. But then look how he ended that prayer. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. Not what I will, but what you will. And I can tell you that's the greatest prayer that you'll ever pray. Yes, acknowledge him. We want relationship. Make your requests. But remember, he's God. I've shared this story with you. I was driving from Waco to Dallas. And uh, there was, um, along the interstate, was it 35? And there was a little chapel at an Assembly of God church that I had seen from time to time. And when I drove by it, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, pull into that chapel. And some of you remember the story. I went in, it was just a little bitty chapel, and I knelt down as often in my life at times that were really important. And the Lord drew to, he gave me an option. He said, now on the left, you could be a great evangelist. Which I always wondered how that fit in there at that time. I wondered about that. You could make a lot of money. You'd be very popular. You could have a beautiful wife. Then on the right, he said, or. Why does that have to be an or? That sounded pretty good. I could have handled all that. But then he said, or. I'll send you to a little bitty church in the middle of nowhere. You won't make any money. You'll be all by yourself. And you'll, you will not be married. But. You'll be in my perfect will. The first one, he says, you would not be in my perfect will. You can have all that, but you wouldn't be in my perfect will. The second one, you'd be in my... I, well, what do you think I'm going to say? I looked at the left. I said, now it is kind of appealing. But who cares, God? I could care less. I want the right. So he sends me to a little bitty church in the middle of nowhere. You could... I promise you, we'll take... We'll just see. I, you take me up on it. You cannot find my church in West Virginia. There ain't no way possible. You would not know where to turn. And then if you turn, you wouldn't know where the next turn is. Then you wouldn't definitely not know where the next turn is. Then when you turn there, you have to turn around and go back and turn the other way. So I promise you, you're not going to find it. So he sent me to a little bit church. I made 125 bucks a week. I was all by myself. But I was in the perfect will of God. I remember another time. Behind that little bitty church was a pond, little bitty pond. Little bitty church, a little bitty pond. I was a little bitty preacher. I just little bitty. Anyway, I would go out there and stand on these uh, rocks in that pond and, you know, just throw rocks, skipping time. I was all by myself. What else you got to do? I used to go on dates with God. I'd say, God, well, look, you're not going to give me a wife. I'm going on a date with you. Would you like to go out? So I'd just go with God and spend time with him. But anyway, I'm, I'm skipping rocks, throwing rocks on the pond. And then God speaks to me because I had met a girl that I thought maybe could be, you know, someone in the, in the midst of all this. And God said, do you want your choice or do you want my choice? And I remember I said, God, your choice. So you know what I had to do with the girl that I met? I had to say goodbye. Now, for a single guy that's waited all of his life, that's a hard thing to do. But I said goodbye because God spoke to me. He's God before he's good. Sometimes you have to die before you live. In fact, there, before the, the crown, there is the cross. Many believe that there are many girls you can marry. You know, and, and you might say there are many guys. Well, that may be true. You can marry the wrong one, for example. But I've always believed there is one. And God honored my faith. Let it be according to your faith. You can read this later, but over in Genesis chapter 2, and we won't turn there now. 
for the sake of time, but beginning with verse 18, it talks about how it was not good and God created. And then it says how as Adam is naming all those the animals, he says, and he brought the woman to the man. Remember that? How many of you remember that? And I stood on that scripture all those years. God, you will bring the woman to the man. Now, that was a big order for where I was a pastor. I'm just telling you, it's a big challenge for God. But I'll never forget the day I stand up to... Well, where was it? Did I meet you before? Yes. Yes, I shook her hand before. And then I went and got her phone number. No, I didn't yet. I don't know what I did, but I had you fill out everything we had to fill out. Because I figured, this was my thought. I thought, now look, she's visiting my church today. Ain't nobody walked in here like this. So if I ain't letting her get out of this place without getting everything I can find about her, you know, I mean, it's not going to happen. I'm just not going there. So he brought, but he did, he did it. He did it. He'll do it for you. And then I had to trust his voice that he'd been speaking to me all along. And um, I can remember times where, you know, I just would ask the Lord, Lord, how come? They're, you know, sitting around a table with a lot of girls in Waco. You know, a lot of girls, we eat lunch or somewhere at K&W, whatever they had, Piccadilly, I guess, there. And I'd say, God, how come? How come? None of these girls could be my wife. I know you told me not to date them. And he would just remind me, don't date the girls. And do you want the one? I'll bring the one to you. He just kept reminding me. Do you want many or you want the one? And I said, God, I want the one. And then we, I had to stay in the right place at the right time that God had prepared. There were, as I said, Philippi, West Virginia was a different place. I remember the day. I don't know if you guys have heard this, but I wanted to leave West Virginia. I said, God, this is it. I quit. You ever, how many of you have been there? I'm out of here. I'm throwing in the white towel. I quit. And I was, there were a few tears being shed. I said, God, I'm, I don't like living here. This is horrible. I'm dying, God. What are you trying to do? Kill me. He was. He was trying to kill me. To die to myself. And then the Lord asked me the question. Some of you remember. The Lord sped, said, did my son get off of his cross? What kind of question is that? I said, no, he did not. And then he said, are you going to get off of yours? I said, no. No. And it was within the next, what, year I don't know how many months it was that God brought Shirley into my life. So you got to stay at your post. Even if it looks like it's a deserted post. Stay where God sent you. No matter what the cost. And then I had to build a foundation of faith and we fasted and uh, believed God. Look over in Mark chapter 10. I'm going to get to the other part. You guys stay with me. Don't leave, all right? I know it's our personal story, but it's part of the testimony. The saints have a testimony. I want America to know I've got a testimony. You can stay married. God will bring your wife to you. He's faithful to bring the woman to the man. There's one woman or one man. But look at this in Mark chapter 10. And he's talking about marriage and divorce. Now stay with me. We're not gonna, nobody's going to be condemned, right? You know, there's forgiveness and restoration. Okay, that's good, but how about going back to the beginning? Then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea, and as his was his custom, he went there again and again. And there's some things you need to do over and over. They may call it religious. You just do it over and over because you know it's the thing to do. 
You read your Bible over and over. You pray over and over. You do some things because it's a custom. It's a good custom. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he answered and said, What did Moses command you? They said, Well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept or this command. But from the beginning of the creation of God. Now, you remember that, what do they call it? The law of first mention. How many of you are familiar? The law of first, if you want to know the interpretation of a scripture, you go back to see when it was first mentioned. You can't get any further back to the law of first mention than creation. You can't go any further. So, this is the law of first mention. From the beginning, God created them, male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, therefore means you see what it's there for. All that it's talking about. Therefore, what God hath joined together, let no man separate. He said because of the hardness. Now, this is interesting. I've never heard anybody say anything about this. We're going to cover quickly divorce because there's no condemnation. God has done some amazing testimonies where the enemy came in and wrecked havoc, and then God restored and did something to bring him glory. That's over and over and over. But do you know the word, the certificate of divorce in the Greek is apostein, apostein. It's similar to the word apostasy. I've never in my life seen that. Nobody dared preach on it, I guess. It means to deter or deflection from the truth. Apostasy, apostasein. Now, not everywhere you see the word divorce is it interpreted that, but the certificate. It is an apostasy. Now, God forgives, and God brings renewed. But listen, there's a standard. The standard is, man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one. First of all, there's male and female. This is God's standard, America. I don't care. You can call me a hater. It's God's standard, a male and a female. Secondly, it's husband and wife. I saw where this Democrat representative from California has has brought to the table amend the Code for Marriage Equality Act, H.R. 98, and it would erase the term husband and wife from all federal documents. Just get rid of husband. Hey, listen, if we remove the word husband and wife, then that'll take care of it, right? No. God's word. Men will come and go. That representative one day will come and go. But God's word will remain forever. So there's male and female, husband and wife. And then after that, there's going to be father and mother. And it's right there in the scripture. And let whom God had joined together, let no man separate. Amen. You guys with me? Now in the church today, they're flooded with people that have been divorced. And thank God he restores. But don't get married with the idea of divorce. From here on out, God, you, I'm, I want the first number one choice. No number two choice. I want number one, and I'm going to stay for the rest of my life because that's the way God said it, and I'm going to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you would agree? We just got to do it. It's the word. It's the standard. It's the standard. There's no, con- no condemnation 
we just want to begin anew. We, should, we ought to repent for the apostasy in America. God, forgive us the apostasy because we toyed with what you said was holy and we let the devil have a, have a havoc of what God said was his will and his purpose. Okay, here's some things in the scripture. Man is God's idea. Or marriage, you know, man is God's idea, but marriage is God's idea. Secondly, since it's God's idea, he sets the rules. Is that okay to say? Marriage is to last as long as life endures. We used to say, till death us do part. Do they still say that? They ought to say it. You heard one time they asked Ruth Graham, had she ever considered divorce? You ever used the word divorce? She said, no, me and Billy, we never, ever brought up the subject of divorce. Now, murder, that's a different thing. <laughs> you know, we, we brought that up, but, you know. So anyway, we should understand God's standard, confess our sin, receive forgiveness, you know. Agape love, like Shirley said, it's not just about love, it's God's will. You could... Listen, love, sometimes it's just puppy love. And that's real to the puppy. That's what they used to tell me. I'd, I'd be in love and they'd say, well, that's puppy love. I don't care. It's still real to me. You know what I'm talking about. But you don't get married on puppy love. You get married because God says. And you trust God. I tell you, you, need, you, you want to go through fasting and everything else in this day. You know, go through a rigorous premarital counseling yourself. You say, I just want to get married. You want marriage more than God's will? Amen. It's not those that just get married that go to heaven. Those who do the will of God that go to heaven. Amen. You know, there is a, a little higher standard there. And then marriage, you know, someone, it's a lot of work. How many of you know marriage is a lot of work? You wear a tux on the day you get married, but then every other day you, you wear a, they don't have them anymore, but they used to call them overalls. You got to put your overhauls on, you know. It is work. Thank God. Well, you know, marriage is a way to obey and fill the earth. She's my best friend. She's the best mother I've ever known other than mine. You know what I mean? There's something about that. My mom was the best mom. But I see her through the lives of my children and then there's intimacy, the purpose of sex, it's procreation, pleasure, enjoyment, it's a picture of Christ and the church, one flesh. And remember what Hebrews chapter 13 says. Anybody remember? That the marriage bed is honorable. And there's someone that God's going to judge. What does it say? The adulterers. God will judge. And I tell you, he's going to judge. The word fornication is actually the word where we get the word pornography. It's an addiction. There's fornication. There's adultery. I don't care who you are. God says, I will judge unless there's repentance. There's forgiveness. The blood of Jesus covers it all. And then marriage is a picture of a relationship with Christ. And then it's a picture of the ultimate marriage supper of the Lamb. Because we're all going to get to go to that marriage supper. Amen. Are you guys with me? Okay, we got through that part. Now I've got to share with you. No, let me do something first. First, I want to pray for marriages. Listen, we're not, divorce should not even be in our vocabulary. Okay, from this point, 
year divorce, God bless you, God will restore, he'll make it brand new. Justification means just as if you've never sinned. So, but it doesn't mean you ignore, you, yes, you say it was sin and I ask God to forgive me. And he will, and he will, and he put it back together and he'll do some remarkable things. But we don't need another marriage to end in divorce in the house of God. God is greater than that. He said, let no man put asunder. Let no man separate what he puts together. Does this make sense to anybody? We're just trying to raise a standard in the nation. Because we've got to get there. He's coming for a bride without spot and blemish. That's another thing that happened in Waco, Texas one day when I was out moaning and groaning to the Lord. You know, that's the way I would spend a lot of my prayer times and then I'd get over it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So I'm out in this place, this wilderness. I'm all by myself. God, please bring my wife. God, you said I couldn't date those girls. What are you going to do about this situation? I'm going in ministry alone. You said it's not good, not good. And then God interrupted my pity party. And he said, as much as you want to be with your bride, it doesn't even begin to compare with how much I want to be with mine. And I said, God, for the rest of my life, I want to do what I can to bring your bride to you. And I tell you, he's coming for a bride without spot and blemish, a bride that's been, I mean, cleansed and ready for the bridegroom. And we got to be ready, and he's going, he's going to do a good thing. If, listen, I want every married couple to stand. I just want to pray a blessing. Then we're going to pray for people real quick that want to get married, okay? I'm going to ask for miracles. He can do it for me, he can do it for you. I'm going to see, we're going to see answers. Right now, Lord, we bless every marriage in this house, those that are watching online. We break every assignment of the enemy. We break every work of darkness. We declare Satan is a defeated foe. Be gone. We break your power, your lies, your schemes, your accusations. We cancel every assignment of hell against every marriage in the name of your son Jesus. Lord, we thank you for those marriages that came out of a divorce situation that you said, I make all things new. And so we bless them. We thank you for the great testimony that you're building. Right now, Lord, that you have established and we speak blessing on our marriages. Lord, we ask you to open up the windows of heaven. Pour out God fresh, Lord, on these marriages. Make them strong examples, testimonies as to the grace of God and the faithfulness of God in this generation. Lord, use us. Use our marriages. We thank you and trust you. Bless them. Cover them in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, those that want to get married or you're about to get married, stand up. You say, I'm looking for a husband or wife. We're going to ask for miracles. No, others, hey, if you, if you believe God's going to answer prayer, you should stand. If you're single, he's going to answer this prayer. All right? All right, and those that are not standing, I'm going to ask God to do it anyway if he wants to. <laughs> so, Lord, we got a couple back here that's about to get married. Hey, hey, Josh, this is one, she's the one, one flesh for life. Okay? There is no problem you will ever face that's going to be too big for God. He would not have brought you together if he could not handle every situation. He's going to show himself faithful to you. He's going to, when you stand at the altar that day, you're going to become one. The past is over. I don't know 
where you've been. I'm, I know you. You've been waiting a long time. You're a lot like me. And so God's blessing you, son. You're, he's your father. Every good gift comes from above, comes from the father. It's a blessing of God, the blessing of heaven. But I, we just bless you guys. So, Lord, we just pray. Lord, there are a lot of single folks. We thank you, God, that you are still in the marriage business. God, because it's good. It's a good thing. Marriage is not evil. It's good. So, Lord, we're asking for husbands and wives of your choosing. We ask you for divine miracles. We ask you, Lord, if you can do it in Philippi, West Virginia, Lord, you can do it in somewhere like this. So we ask you for a, a breakthrough, for divine God breakthroughs, everyone that has a desire. We ask you to now show them your desire for them and let it happen. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, thanks for letting me just, you know, there are inspirational messages, and we do preach to the things that are going on in the times. I try to do that. I'm not going to be silent. I'll be silent when they lay me, you know, in, down for the last time. But I'm, I'm not going to preach if I'm not going to be faithful to his word. You know, you've got to have that same thing. I'm, listen, if I'm going to follow him, I'm going to stand for truth. I'm not about to be a coward. You know where cowards go? Same place that the sexually immoral go, all liars go into the lake that burns with fire. So we're not going to be a coward. We're going to, in love, speak the truth. So there's those kinds of things that we want to do. But also, you've got to just have discipleship. You've got to just preach the word. That's what Paul told Timothy. You should never run out of anything to preach. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. You know what that means, in season and out of season? When you feel like it and when you don't. Sometimes you wake up, you feel rotten. You ever, those of you that have spoken, you taught, you preach, whatever, sometimes you don't feel like opening your mouth. You know what I mean? And yet God gives you the grace and you just trust him that his word will never return void. Well, meeting Randy was an amazing because it touched home. I thought, goodness, God, this is real. Those things, the other, the thing in Texas was real. Las Vegas was real. That Florida thing that happened earlier, many, you know, about a year, so that was all real. But they didn't touch me like this one did. This one, because Randy's a good friend. He's a, I've known Randy for, what, 15 years or 20 years or so. He's one of the oldest guys that have been ordained in Morningstar like me. We both were about the same time, but... Anyway, it touched me deeply, and I, I could just, I, look, I saw the pictures of Aaron there, the coach, and, you know, my heart just broke for that man. I thank God for men like that that would give his life for students. There are probably students today that are alive because that man stood in front of the bullets and told those kids to run. So I thank God. It really touched my heart. It was an amazing the answer is not gun control. The answer is turning back to God. The answer is calling out to him. We've, we're in a mess because we're in a mess. You know, we made the mess. The mess is called sin. The answer is repentance. But anyway, the second man that I met, out of all my life, I've never heard a story like this guy shared Wednesday night at our little pastor's gathering up at the lodge. This man is a pastor from Wichita, Kansas. He said he was not even supposed to go on this trip. 
somehow something happened that he got invited, I think maybe took somebody's place. It was a miracle as how he goes on this trip. But the trip was to go to all the places. Well, no, they're just going to, to Europe. Yeah, they weren't even really, I don't know what happened. But anyway, I, I can't explain it all. There's no way I can even remember because the first story just, are you kidding me? So anyway, he ends up at Herrenhut, Germany. He never, did he say he never even heard of Zinzendorf? I don't know. But anyway, the Moravians, where the Moravian revival broke out. So he wants to go to the place where that revival took, took place. I'd want to go there too, wouldn't you? So he goes there. It's locked. He thought, well, I want to get it. I want to at least touch, you know, there's a fence. I want to at least touch the door of this great Moravian revival that broke out. So he almost jumps the fence, but he's a rather big guy, so that would have been pretty difficult. About that time, a man comes up behind them. He says, oh, are you here to get in, you know, the church, the chapel, whatever it is? He said, yeah, but we can. It's locked. He said, well, guess what? He reaches in his pocket. He says, I'm the gatekeeper. Would you like to go in? So he lets them in. They go in. He says, oh, by the way, you can stay as long as you want. Just, you know, close the door. But somehow something happens. So they, they're there for a while. He prays for the anointing of what happened with the Moravian move of God, the prayer, the mission movement, all that. And, and so he's on his way out, and part of the door falls off onto the ground. Just a little piece of the door falls off. How many of you walked through a door and a piece of the door fell off and fell on the ground? But this is it. You ain't heard anything yet. So anyway, the man, the, the custodian man says, well, would you like to keep that? So he picks it up. Of course, you know, I'll take it. So he picks up part of the door from that place. Okay, so he goes on. He says, God, that's an amazing. The next place they end up is in Wales. Moriah Chapel, where the revival broke out, the Welsh revival. He wants to get in. Why wouldn't Would you want to get in? I'd want to get in. I want to go to Moriah Chapel. You know, I mean, we're not spooky about this stuff, but we do believe there's something about walking in those places where God walked. You know, the wells that were dug there. You know, we know that God's coming with a fresh river, but we want to drink from those wells too. Although we're looking for a river that's for this hour. But he, anyway, he can't get in because it's locked and there's no one to let him in. A man walks up. He says, we want to get into Moriah Chapel, but we can't. It's locked. He says, oh, guess what? I'm the gatekeeper. He holds the key. Would you like to get in? Yes. Now, this is divine at this point. This has happened twice. This is not. So anyway, he goes in Moriah Chapel. You know, he bows and prays. And God, it's an amazing thing that God does. So then they leave Moriah Chapel. And somehow he gets invited, I'm trying to fill in the blanks, to a birthday party. Oh, why he's in Moriah Chapel, he gets invited to a birthday party. The gatekeeper invites him. That's better. Thank you, Shirley. She is the better half. She's the one that helps me remember and stay. She doesn't bend the rules. She keeps the rules. She helps me keep the rules. Thank God. But anyway. Shirley, don't tell me. Anyway, so anyway, so he, he goes to the birthday party. 
And they, they go to a party and another man walks up to him in the birthday party. And they had heard about this place called the Angel Mountain. It's a place where people have had encounters with angels. There's an open heaven. It sounds like a lot like Moravian Falls. So he wants to go to Angel Mountain. This is great. I want to go there. You must have been there. But they didn't know how to get there. Anyway, a man walks up to him and says, would you like to go to Angel Mountain? <laughs> you know, let's, I'll take you to Angel Mountain. So he takes him to Angel Mountain, gets him in, opens the gate. He has these incredible encounters with God. And then he leaves there, and then he ends up somewhere else where people had connections with, you know, Azusa Street. He's on this incredible journey of revival where all these wells have been opened. He's telling all of this stuff, and I'm sensing the anointing like crazy, like this is, I've never heard stories like this. One place, yes, two places, maybe, three places, four places, it goes on and on. This is God. I got to, you know, his wife tells me, I mean, he's praying for people. She says, you better go touch him quick. What do you think I'm going to do? I ran. I want, listen, I want everything God has. Now, I know some of you are saying, yeah, those are old moves of God. They're places where wells were opened. I know there's a river about to be poured out, but I want to draw from all those wells. Well, that wasn't enough. I said, look, you've got to come to the gathering tomorrow. Would you come? He said, well, we've, we're flying out, but on the way, we'll come by. So he comes by Thursday, and he stands right here, and he walks back and forth. And I had, there was a few people here praying because it's during the time of prayer. And he just releases. And then he looked at me and he said, believe God. Believe. Believe. It's been released. The father had told him, freely you've received, freely give. So I received. Now do I know what to do with it? Yeah, I'm going to give it away. I want to pray for people this morning. We want to pray. Shirley was there too. We want to pray for folks. We want to release what God released. Listen, America has never been more ripe than it is right now. We could go on, there'd be more school shootings, more disasters, more earthquakes, more things. I, I got it. God's getting our attention. He's shaking everything that can be shaken. God's looking for people today that will grab hold of God. They'll grab hold of God. They'll stir themselves up. And grab hold of him. Now I want to end with a story. And then we're going to pray for people. During the 1857 revival in Ireland. That began actually in 1859. But there are many things that God did. That led up. To over 100,000 people. Being converted. In Ireland. And it spread into the United Kingdom. But there's a story. About a school. In Coleraine, Ireland. And one day. It was like, a, the, the one telling the story said it was like a divine radiation zone. That God did something so powerfully and it affected the entire community and it began to spread. Maybe this was one of the catalysts that caused a revival to break out. But one day, a student in this man's class became so troubled over the condition of his soul in a school that he was making all kinds of commotion and trouble and disruption. So the schoolmaster, which is what? Was that the, whatever it was, they invited him out. They said, you can go out 
and take care of, you know, whatever God, whatever's going on with you. And so another student saw this young student get up and walk out after the commotion. And he was a Christian, and they're on their way home. And so the older student led the younger student to Christ. The younger student said, I'm going to go back, and I want to tell people what Jesus has done for me. So he goes back in to the school, and he begins to tell the teacher, oh, he said, oh, I'm so happy. I found the Lord Jesus in my heart. His simple words were so amazing. They had such an effect that boy, it was an all-boys school. No, not all-boys school, all-boys class. So another, one boy after another, he, after hearing that testimony, the guy just said, oh, I'm so happy. I found Jesus in my heart. So one boy gets up and he walks out. Another boy gets up, walks out. Another boy gets up, walks out. The class walks out. The teacher goes outside into the playground. All of the boys are on their knees, lined up against the fence in the playground, praying. The Spirit of God was poured out. He said their silent prayers became, became like a roar. And they were crying out for mercy. And for God's forgiveness. Another class, boys class, heard what was going on. And those boys in that class began to hit their knees. They, they made such a commotion in that class, a girls class. They, God didn't leave out the girls. Above. Heard the commotion. They began to fall to their knees. Soon, passers-by knew something was happening at that school. They were strangely drawn onto that campus. The moment they would step on the campus, they would fall under conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And soon, they said, every classroom in that school, boys, girls, regardless, passers-by from the city, were on their knees getting right with God. That's what America needs. You want to stop what happened from happening is that God would come again. Oh, God, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains would, be, would shake at your presence, that you would make your name known to your adversaries. And then he said about the eye and the ear of those that have heard, no, no one's seen the things that are God. He acts for, the, the, for those who wait for him. But you know what he's looking for? are those whose hearts are stirred and they will not rest until they see the glory of God and they grab hold of the hem of His garment. Amen? It's time to grab hold. So I've said all that just to say I'm going to pray in faith and release what that man who went on this incredible journey released to me and released at this altar. I believe God is in this house. I believe the Holy Spirit is visiting America again. There's a great awakening that has already begun. And now God's looking for people that will step up and grab hold and walk out the pur His purposes for this hour. So let's pray. Invite the Holy Spirit. And if you want prayer this morning, you say, man, I want that. If God's stirring in your heart, say, I want more of God. I want more of God. I want more of God. Some of you, you're lost and you've never yet surrendered to his lordship. 
Or maybe you walked with Him at one time, but now you've walked away and you need to come back home. There is forgiveness. There is redemption. And God said, if you will call upon Him, he'll, you'll be saved, my friend. This is the hour of salvation. So there's some that need that. Others need a miracle. You've been struggling with disease and sickness, and you've cried and cried. Listen, all I know is we have a God that heals, a God that saves, a God that delivers. He is faithful. His word is true. I'm not backing off of that. I don't care the delays. I don't care things we do not understand. I believe God is God. Let God be God and let every man and every demon be a liar. Our God reigns and rules. There's no one like our God. And I know many say America's too far gone. Well, that's in your opinion. In my opinion and in God's opinion, a nation can be saved in a day. If a nation can be saved in a day, surely in this season, God would pour out His Spirit and send another flood of revival like He did in Wales, like He did with the Moravians, like He did at Azusa Street, and like He's done time and time and time and time again throughout history when people called out to Him and they knew there was no hope, there was no answer other than calling to the living God. And I tell you, there's no hope. There's no other answer. No legislation will work in this hour. It's our God. We must turn to Him with all of our hearts. And God will be faithful. And God will move in power. And I believe it. I believe it. So anyway, let's stand. If you want to come around the altar, you guys play. Just, just go ahead. That song... Let's just worship the Lord. Lord, we honor you this morning. Just come worshiping Him. Just come worshiping Him. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord.